Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Dabelis. Cyprus is making a new push to cement energy ties with Israel, and there have been recent reports about a pipeline that would link Israel with Cyprus, where gas will be liquefied and exported abroad to Europe. The idea comes as Eastern Mediterranean gas has seen renewed interest with Europe looking to wean itself off Russian energy. Both Israel and Egypt have emerged as net energy exporters, and Cyprus hopes to play a key role as well. Dr. Theodoros Tsakiris, an associate professor of geopolitics and energy policy at the University of Nicosia, joins me to look at how this potential project could impact Cyprus, Israel, and the broader region. We also look at what to expect on the Eastern Mediterranean energy front following Turkish President Erdogan's re-election. Dr. Tsakiris, great to have you back on The Greek Current. Great to be back. Thanks for the invite. Dr. Tsakiris, how could this new push from Nicosia for a pipeline that would connect Israel with Cyprus impact the energy map of the region? Well, there is a push, as you accurately said, but we need to be cautious with regards to how solid this dynamic is. This is a relatively new project. It was first proposed by the energy and uh, oil and gas company, which has assets in all the countries of the Eastern Mediterranean in upstream activities, including Israel, Egypt, Greece, and Italy, and aspires to acquire also a midstream and even downstream presence in the Cypriot energy markets which envisions the connection of its fields, which are two relatively small fields. One is called Olympus, and the other one is called Karish North in the EZ of Israel, close to the line of demarcation between the Cypriot and the Israeli exclusive economic zone, in order to export it to a floating LNG facility offshore the Vasilikos area, and then start exporting significant volumes up to about anywhere between, I believe the original idea was in between three to 5 billion cubic meters per annum. And now, this idea is relatively interesting and original in the sense that it aspired for a small pipeline that could be filled primarily by existing reserves. So the company that proposed the pipeline also had part of the gas that was necessary to fill it and had a very clear picture about how to market it into international and European LNG markets by acquiring the flexibility of a direct connection to the LNG liquefaction facilities. Now, this idea appears to be endorsed by the Republic of Cyprus, but we don't have a clear picture of how this would translate into a intergovernmental agreement or even intergovernmental memorandum of understanding, which is lacking with regards to not particularly the, whether Israel would give an expert license to energy and from Olympus or Karish North, but more importantly, whether it would commit other reserves which is a joint decision, of course, between Tel Aviv and the companies which are developing these reserves, which means primarily Tamar South and the second phase of the Leviathan, the big field, the Leviathan field in Israel, whether part of those fields could also be committed to go north to Cyprus. We don't have a clear picture of whether such a proposal has been accepted, seriously debated, or even been given a positive answer on the part of Israel. So it's very early stages, despite the enthusiasm that has been illustrated in Greek and Cypriot media, it still needs a lot of work. And it's a preliminary idea that still has not been detailed. And it needs to be done as quickly as possible, in conjunction, of course, with the results of the third exploratory well, which is currently being drilled by the developers of the Aphrodite field on block 12 of the Cypriot EZ, which is a field that is adjacent to the Israeli EZ and partially enters Israeli waters. 
And the drilling, which is actually currently taking place, starting on May 4th and should give us results by July 4th, it would resolve a lot of questions with regards to whether the Aphrodite field is actually commercially exploitable in and of itself, whether it could be committed to support an independent development project, which basically means a, a floating separation and production offshore facility that's going to be permanently placed on top of the sea surface in order to produce the gas and then connect it to a pipeline and send it either to Egypt or to Cyprus along with the Israeli gas to be liquefied or sell it domestically to the Cypriot gas market, evolving gas market, aspiring gas market. Or if it's going to be a very small field, it's going to have, if the third well comes out empty and does not confirm the original estimate going back to 2014, of a field that has an exploitable reserve base of 4.4 trillion cubic feet, approximately 124 billion cubic meters, then Chevron, which is the leading company, the operator of the consortium, may have to drop the field. And that would mean probably dropping also the commercial option to go to Egypt. So when can we expect more specifics on this project? Is Nicosia taking steps to work out a deal with Jerusalem? So it's still fuzzy. It's still unclear. And it should become more detailed and should become more specific over the next two weeks following the visit of the Cypriot Energy Minister along with uh, the President of the Republic of Cyprus, Mr. Papanastasiou and Mr. Christodoulidis, to Israel to discuss this project and hopefully come back to some sort of an intergovernmental agreement that would commit Israel to the project. This is step one. There are several steps. And of course, a public statement, it does not necessarily mean that an intergovernmental document is dragged next door. Usually between the public statement and the final signing of an agreement, there's a significant distance that needs to be covered. We're not there yet. So we're just going to have to wait. Israeli gas so far, Dr. Zakidis, is currently piped to Egypt, where it's liquefied and shipped to market. What would a project like the one that we're talking about mean for Israel's energy security? Well, that's not entirely accurate, if I may observe. It's not clear whether it's liquefied, and it's not a direct liquefaction agreement. The Israeli companies do not have direct access to Egyptian LNG terminals. They are selling domestically to the Egyptian market, and somehow some of that gas may be exported through the LNG terminals, but it is not Israeli gas. It is Egyptian gas which is exported. So essentially, the Israeli developers, the Israeli companies from Leviathan Phase 1 are shipping gas to the Egyptian market. They're selling to Egyptians, which means that they're selling at the Egyptian market price that is no more than slightly higher than their own. So what the Israeli shippers and the companies which are developing fields and have spent billions of dollars in that process and want to maximize revenue, they want to have a direct agreement to get access to the LNG terminals. Unless and until Cairo agrees to those terms, it's very difficult to see how this is going to be monetized. The simple reason is that, you know, the international price you can get for LNG, especially now and even before the crisis started by the Russian-Ukrainian war, are much, much higher. So they might be two times, three times, four times, or even five times higher. So the level of profit lost or profit gain, depending on what is your actual final market, is huge. So the shippers won't have a direct access to the LNG terminals, not having to go through the Egyptian system or through the Egyptian market first. Cairo doesn't give that access. It constrains that access. And that is basically the primary argument in favor of the FLNG option in Cyprus, which would be basically a direct connection to an FLNG 
so that you would have access to international markets and being able to capitalize on prices that you could get from your company's marketing division. So it's clear where the access is, and the access is direct. It doesn't have to go through an intermediary and be mixed with Egyptian gas, lost in the process, or remain within the Egyptian market. That's the big difference. This Cypriot proposal breaks effectively, or would aspire to break, the LNG export monopoly that currently is enjoyed only by Egypt. And it's not very well managed, if I might say so. So it is important to basically have alternative options and the separate plan for whatever its merit is, or the Energian plan, or the joint Energian and separate plan, the basic merit of that option is that it could develop an alternative LNG export facility portal, if you would like, to international markets that would be directly controlled by the shippers and would provide direct access to the shippers of Israeli and Cypriot gas, thereby maximizing their potential profits. This is the major difference that such a small pipeline would make. You talked about how things are still fuzzy in terms of this proposal. Should things clear up, what kind of timeline would we be looking at before this could be up and running? The pipeline would need anywhere between two and a half and three years to be completed. Let's say two and a half if everything goes according to plan. It would have to be simultaneously developed with Energian's fields in Olympus and Karish North, which could happen within the next 36 months. If, and that would be the, the best scenario, Aphrodite gas were to flow through that export option to Cyprus, then we may talk about, uh, you know, it could start in after 30 months to 36 months with Karish North and Olympus gas. And then within 42 months, three and a half years, and hopefully a bit shorter, or anywhere between 36 and 42 months, therefore Deity gas could join. If Leviathan phase two gas flows through that option, then it could be within the next two and a half to three years. So it's anywhere between 30 to 36 months at the earliest. Over the last year, Dr. Zakiris, Erdogan has stepped up his efforts to mend relations with countries in the region. Having just secured re-election, how do you see another five years of Erdogan at the helm of Turkey impacting energy plans in the eastern Mediterranean? I don't think that you know Erdogan is going to change his policy of regional revisionism. Turkey under Erdogan has become a revisionist power, an imperialist power, that sees itself as the rightful owner of the northern half of the entire continental shelf of the Eastern Mediterranean, from Cyprus all the way to Crete. It is the leader of a coalition of extreme Islamist parties, some of them terrorist organizations such as the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, and a, a coterie of different Islamist extreme Sunni elements that have been tied to Al-Qaeda and ISIS that are currently fighting the Syrian government in the Idlib province. It has occupied parts of Syria, and has built a naval capability that aspires to establish the Mavivatan doctrine, which essentially is attempting to revise the Treaty of Lausanne of 1923. That is the strategic direction that Erdogan has chosen to take his country towards. And that strategic direction is not going to change. I don't see it changing over the next five years. So the Turkish policy is very unlikely to change despite the rapprochement or the you know, ostensible improvement of its ties with Israel and Egypt. I don't see either country moving closer to Turkey in this regard or, you know, trying to implement any kind of energy cooperation program or project with it, including the so-called Turkish-Israeli pipeline Turkey has been proposing, has been championing since 2013.
This doesn't mean that, of course, the Israelis have agreed to take on the political and the geopolitical risk of a pipeline between Israel and, and Cyprus. And whether they would actually do so is still one of the major things that would need to be clarified over the next few months. But I don't see any significant change with regards to Turkey's strategic posture in the region. So that's basically what the situation is going to look like. Not so much different compared to what was the case over the last five years. Hopefully not as aggressive. Erdogan should spend some time looking at the domestic problems of its own country and the unavoidable reality of his own succession. I don't think that he's going to go for a third presidential term. He will be running the country for consecutive 25 years. So he's an Islamist revolutionary, an Islamist nationalist revolutionary, and Islamist leaders, Islamist revolutionaries, if they want to see the revolution survive, they need to pick a very capable successor. And I think that in his mind, that would be one of the most important tasks of the next five years, consolidating his economy is the second, and of course trying to avoid an IMF program that would help him to cover the cost of $110-$120 billion, which is the reconstruction costs of the earthquake-hit provinces, thing would be at the top of his domestic agenda. That doesn't mean that he's going to give an inch in terms of its foreign policy, but it does mean that maybe we're going to see for the next few months or a year, a year and a half, a top, at best, some sort of a less aggressive posture on the Aegean on the part of Turkey. And that is something that it's a good thing, it's a good result, regardless of Turkey's permanent long-term revisionist agenda. If we have a level of relative calm on the Aegean, that is for everybody's benefit especially Greece's benefit, of course. Without, of course, that period of calm translating, unfortunately, on a significant you know, change in Turkey's revisionist agenda. We hope that it would be the case, but I don't see that materializing under Erdogan, not even under Kilinjaralu, but I think under Erdogan, there is no room for discussion. Dr. Sakiris, it's always great speaking with you. Thanks again for joining. Thank you very much. In other news, the United States is proud to support Greece's leadership role in redrawing the energy map of Southeast Europe, diversifying energy sources with its Balkan neighbors, and helping to break Russia's gas monopoly, U.S. Ambassador George Tsunis said. The Alexandrupoli FSRU plays a key role in achieving regional energy and climate goals, he added. In a tweet, after visiting the northern city of Alexandrupoli with four fellow ambassadors from Bulgaria, Moldova, Romania, and Ukraine. He noted that the city was becoming an energy hub that will provide energy security for Greece, but also the entire region, as well as prosperity and stability. Finally, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg will hold talks with President Erdogan and other senior Turkish officials this weekend as pressure mounts on Turkey to lift its objections to Sweden joining the military alliance. In a statement on Friday, NATO headquarters said Stoltenberg would attend Erdogan's inauguration after the long-term Turkish leader won an election runoff last weekend. The former Norwegian prime minister will also take part in meetings in Turkey on Sunday. No details were provided. NATO wants to bring Sweden into the fold by the time allied leaders meet in Lithuania on July 11th and 12th, but Turkey and Hungary have yet to endorse the move. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.